Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. And as of today, the, uh, the podcast with the music in the background was just released on, on Friday. It's Monday today. So there's been one released and I'm just giving you all uh, the, uh, uh, let you know we're not going to do music anymore. <laughs> it, it, the overwhelming majority was very clear um, that it's a little bit distracting, and, and so we're not going to be recording any more episodes. But I wanted to release this episode a little early, in fact, because I, I, what I do is I post these, or I record these about a week to a week and a half in advance. And so we do have six days of background music uh podcast because, you know, during that week that I hadn't released the musical background episode, I had already recorded six episodes. So I apologize to you for uh, the next, uh, I guess, five days that there will be music in the next five days, but don't worry. It's only for this week because I have the, the uh, people have spoken and, and I'm going to read some of those comments and so forth after uh, reading these near-death experiences today, but I just want to thank you so much, so much for responding and letting me know your feelings about it, because I honestly guessed that people would really like it, and honestly, I was a little bit afraid they would kind of like it because of how much time it takes. I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that it's like, if something really, really improves the podcast, I'm willing to put in more time, effort, and work to do it, but if, if that's not even a preferred thing, well, hey, I'm off the hook, you know? So that's kind of the way I, I saw this when I read the comments. I'm like, oh, good, I don't have to do the music anymore. It was fun doing the music, but at the same time, again, it was, it was much work. And so, you know, um, just so you know, while the next few days after today we'll have music, just know it's not going to last, okay? It's only for the five days of the ones that I did record. So, uh so you don't have to worry, it's it's not sticking around. But uh, I wanted to give you that forewarning uh, so that you know people don't up and leave the podcast and be like, forget this, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> and and then leave only to you know never find out that that only went on for a week. So <laughs> anyway, so today's podcast, we have, uh, let's, we're gonna start with one by Candy on endearth.org. And Candy says, I had a very high fever for several days. The doctor didn't know what was wrong with me because she was not aware of the flaws associated with Delkin Shield, with the Delkin Shield. And besides, we were in the middle of the Pacific. I was delirious much of the time. The doctor did not give me antibiotics because I was pregnant, but when I started to miscarry, she took me straight into surgery for dilation and curatage. DNC. While I was under general anesthesia, I simply sat up and got out of my sick body. I remember seeing the operating table and the medical staff around my physical body in my peripheral vision. Right out in front of me was a being with a material body, but not like a physical body. Its arms, I use the word loosely, were opened out to me and I climbed into its lap. I was laughing and crying at the same time. I said, we spoke with thoughts, which seemed perfectly normal at the time. 
I almost stopped believing in you. The being kind of chuckled and said, well, here I am. I cannot tell you how much love this being was capable of giving. The best description I can offer is that it was as if love permeated every fiber of whatever body I happened to be in. There is no earthly experience that I that I have had that comes anywhere near this experience of being loved so totally and powerfully. I think there is a little blank space here where something else might have happened or been communicated, but I'm not sure. Near the end of this encounter, I asked, is it time for me to stay with you now? Or can I stay with you now? But the being said, no, not this time. Then it showed me that I was connected by these threads of love to my two children, and that these threads were like a reflection of the love this being was capable of giving. I understood then that I had to return to be with them. Returning to the body was a difficult task. It was like being squashed into a tuna can. I got back by somehow connecting to my breath and concentrating on the point of the intersection of two lines, kind of like aiming for a target. I remember being aware of being back in my body. I had a long recovery. Now, one of the things I find interesting, and I'm going to say this up front uh, as a as as an evidential aspect, I, I consider this a green flag, and yet it's an odd thing. If you were making up this story, or if, if you, well, if you were either making it up or exaggerating it in some way or trying to do it for some publicity stunt or something, you would include the fa- the uh, question, the the answer to the question: Did the baby survive? It said she started to miscarry. Does the, I mean, did, did the baby not survive? It's not clear. It's not clear, and and even. I'm trying to read through to see if she says um, if the two children that you have, yeah, it doesn't say, you know, of your other two children or anything like that. It just says your two children. So I don't know if these are, you know, one that just barely died and another one that you have, whether it's two children at home that still need you or or what, or maybe they're, fut- you know, this child and another child, or maybe they're two children in the future. It's not clear, but the fact that she doesn't mention whether the child survived, there's kind of a, it sounds like the child didn't, maybe. But the fact that she doesn't include that means that she's not, she's not out to, to tell a story that's going to make her popular because that is a pretty vital thing to leave out. <laughs> and, and even the uh, question of, of the grief of having lost her baby in the process of delivery, by the time you're delivering a child, you are so attached to the child that it is almost as if you've been with the child for a couple of years. I mean, that's how attached a parent tends to get to a child by the time they're born. And yes, there is a an aspect of, of having a child that uh, is, you know, seeing the child makes it even more real than it was before. There is that, but you still develop a love for the child, and especially the mom. Um, feeling the child move in there, that's a very real 
bonding experience for most mothers. And so, you know, she obviously went through some terrible grief, but it doesn't even come up other than to say, had a long recovery. And, and that's probably an understatement. I'm guessing this was a really long, difficult um, long recovery, which is probably why it was even included in the story, because clearly what caught her attention, what grasped all of her attention, and this is the point that she um, she forgot to even mention in, in telling the story later, whether the child survived or not, is the fact that she was so overwhelmed with this love, with this experience. So, you know, that's, that's a, an odd but very green flag to me. So when she first dies, it's interesting. She says, while I was under general anesthesia, I, I suspect from that that she probably wasn't in, any, in a lot of serious pain, probably just the general pain of, you know, when you're under anesthesia, usually that numbs just about everything. She says, I simply sat up and got out of, out of my body, out of my sick body. She just gets up. And then right in front of her was this being. And this is so interesting to me because most people either describe it as an orb of some, you know, by orb, I mean like some kind of ball of light or something, or they describe it as a being of light, like a, like a person that is just made of light. It's like a silhouette of light. So it's just white, you know, whatever. And, uh, or they describe it as, a person that just looks like this beautiful, glorious person. But this one, they say, she says, right in front of me was a being with a material body, but not like a physical body. Its arms, I use the word loosely, were opened out to me, and I climbed into its lap. Now, before we go on to the lap thing, just the point that this doesn't seem to be, I don't know if it would be fair to call it humanoid, I guess you would, because she describes it as being kind of like a human, but she's using the term arms loosely. You know, it's not like the arms are just glowing so bright. I don't think they are. And I, what is it she's seeing? Are they tendons of electricity? Or, you know, is this like maybe um, an orb kind of light, you know, white beaming, being and and this and there's this idea of reaching out with arms which communicates to her that it's reaching out with arms you know is this a mental uh arms or or are these actual arms and they just don't look human i don't know i i don't even know what to make of that honestly the uh the question of and the fact that she says i almost stopped believing in you hints toward it being either God or an angel or something. If it's God or an angel, why does it not look human? Now, many of you, you know, are probably saying, well, why wouldn't it? Or why would it look human? You know, but for me, this is, this is not new information, but it's, it's unique. Let's just say, uh, there are times when there are other kinds of creatures and beings seen, many sentient, many, um, very communicative and so forth, but this is one of the first where it looks like either God or somebody like that is 
not in a human-like form other than light. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what this is. Maybe this is a light form. Because she does say without a material body, but not like, or but with with the material. She says with a material body, but not like a physical body. I don't even know what that means, but I'm curious, and so it's something to note, you know, and and uh, put on a shelf to be examined when other such experiences are shared. You know, when somebody else says, well, you know, the arms were like this or the arms like, looked like this or felt like this. You know, these are all data points to, uh, to help us to grasp a little bit bigger image of what is going on. So very interesting. The next part of that that I find interesting is that it says we're, the, the arms were opened out to me and I climbed into its lap. Now, to those who have not heard many near-death experiences, this may sound utterly bizarre. You're like, why would you climb into the lap of some creature or being or whatever, you know? Especially if it doesn't have a material body, what are you climbing into then? But this is a very common, and I say very common kind of loosely because this happens enough that that I, I have to... Um, consider, yeah, that's, that, that happens. But it's also uncommon enough that many first-time listeners would go, what? Because many times when people have near-death experiences, they will find themselves before God or Jesus Christ or someone, and it is as if they are a child. Now, sometimes that is in size difference, Sometimes it's in some kind of mental, emotional state where they are feeling like a child with him. And often they, he scoops them up into his arms like a child or like a baby. Sometimes they're even cradled like a baby. And, and so this idea of climbing onto the being's lap is not a foreign idea to me. It's, and I, if you've heard... Um, if you've been following this podcast throughout, there have been at least a couple of other experiences that I've read on this podcast where um, people have climbed onto Christ's lap or or God's lap, something like that. Sometimes just an angel's lap or even a grandmother's or something like that. And it makes me wonder a little bit how age really works on the other side. Because we've talked about how people tend to be prime. Sometimes if they die as a child, they, they will sometimes be a child spirit still. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes people will die as a child and they will feel much more mature. And then when they come back, they're like, wow, I was thinking of, you know, in ways that I don't think now, you know, and, it, and is there an adult later? They say, yeah, I was an adult. Clearly my mind was an adult in that experience. And so, there is a mental age, but there is also something of an emotional, emotional age, a physical age, and they seem to sometimes be different. Now, uh, Candy doesn't say whether she was in, in the spirit form, whether she was in the shape size of a child. But in fact, I don't get the impression that she even knew whether she was in a body or not. Because she says later, she says, the best description I can offer is that it was as if the love permeated every fiber of whatever body I happened to be in. Now, that's a weird thing to say 
unless there is something about her situation where she can't tell what kind of body she's in. It's not like some where it just feels so physical. It feels like she's just normal and everything's, you know, um, healthy and, and fully physical and so forth, like it often feels for people. This seems to be more of a ethereal kind of a body. I, and if you've heard my episode about the intelligent consciousness, as I call it, it's just a theory, it's an idea, it is not something that I can confirm through near-death experiences. What what you do get is an obvious, um, I don't want to say discrepancy, but I would say that sometimes people find themselves in a body form, a spirit, but they're a body and they can touch other spirits and they can look at their hand and they can see their fingernails and they can tell you their hair color and you know they're seeing and feeling very physical body like even though they're a spirit because they're sometimes in that form and they're looking at their body so clearly they're not in their body but they feel very physical in their body and other times people will feel like they are just this floating consciousness and they look down and there's no body there and they don't see that nose at the in the you know bottom corner of their eye view and they don't see what you see in a body but they see all around them as as it seems that any spirit does that would be interesting to research if there's a difference between the sense uh, the different senses of spirit versus consciousness but there does seem to be a difference sometimes people are in a, a consciousness format where sometimes they're either nobody at all or they're just this little ball of light i mean i'm picturing i'm picturing what you kind of see in the movies as being a pixie or or fairy when they're flying where they're just they're not in a body form they're just this little light going around the way they describe it it almost kind of sounds that way and at first I was like, what? You know, when I first started studying these things, but what, what's this about being just this ball of light or this little thing? Some people will describe an orb, which as the, if they get detailed, they usually describe being a, you know, a mass of light. I'm picturing the size of a bowling ball. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, basketball size light that is just glowing. I mean, what is that? I don't know. But I suspect, and this is back to the point, and if you want to hear more about this, it's the episode on the intelligent consciousness. But I suspect that there are two different forms that can be taken on as a spirit, whether by choice or whether it's just based on the context of what they're doing. I don't know, but it seems that there is the spirit, in, I mean, sorry, the, uh, the uh, conscious intelligence form and there is the spirit body form. And the spirit body form can be anywhere between, uh, you know, just a, a, a very physical feeling body that feels every bit as physical as the physical body, sometimes more so to being like walking through walls and, you know, being able to put your hand through your own body and, and things like that. So there there are different levels of that. And, and, it, and it's unclear where the mechanics and the uh, uh, and the material structure of things, you know, where where the different brackets go, you know, <laughs> whether this is spirit intelligence form, and then in this is, you know, maybe there's 
different levels in between. I don't know. That's that's really pushing things far. But the point is, <laughs> in saying all that, is that she seems, I'm guessing, to be in that conscious, conscious intelligence form. Because she says, you know, whatever form of body I tend to be in. Which also makes me wonder, just occurs to me, could it be that in that form, the uh, physical body form, that human very human form may look a little bit foreign. I don't know. I don't know. I'm totally going out on, I'm off the limb now. I'm, I'm dancing on leaves now. So (laughs) anyway, so she feels very, very deeply, just utterly loved by this being beyond anything she can describe beyond anything that she knows how to communicate. She's just, it's just beyond words. And, and then she says at the end of the encounter, she asks the being, is it time for me to stay with you now? Or can I stay with you now? And it's interesting that she gives two different translations because, again, she's speaking in thoughts. And not just in word thoughts, but in entire ideas. And since reading near-death experiences, I've started and, and coming across this idea of thoughts being entire packages and so forth, I've started allowing myself to try to think more in packages, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And, and you know, sometimes in my prayers, it's just like, you know, can you please help me to, mm, because I can't put it in words. And, and I'm trying to visualize the whole aspect of what I'm trying to communicate, and I just try to do it in a package form, because I get from these experiences that that is a very real and literal form of communication and a very th- more, much more thorough form of communication. And I think that's what's happening here. She's saying, is it time for me to uh, to stay with you now? Or, And yet at the same time asking, can I stay with you now? She's asking this and can I, is it time? Is it, you know, is it okay? All of this in one um, simple thought. And then the being says, no, not at this time. And then it showed me that I was connected by these threads of love to my two children. And that these threads were like a reflection of the love this being was capable of giving. So the reflection that she has for her children, I'm sorry, the love that she has for her children is like a reflection of the love that this being has for her or was capable of of giving, which makes sense. it's, It's a way of, you know, I think that's one of the purposes of this life is to um, experience family love in whatever form that's going to take, that's going to be different for different people. But I can attest to, you know, having six children of my own, how there is a unique and special love for children. It's, it's one that includes a heavy sense of responsibility it's also an unconditional love that whatever they did, I would still adore them. And yet, you know, it would be agonizing, of course, but I would love them through it. I remember one time as a young adult, um, I, my, my parents had moved and, and I was still living with them for a short time longer before I'm moving out on my own in order to go to school. But uh, they were living about two hours from where I went to school. And, and there was an evening activity and it went a little later than I thought. And I, 
I don't remember what I was thinking. I think I wasn't thinking, you know, it was one of those just, you know, having a great time, not thinking about how am I getting home tonight? But my dad was going to have to be given, getting up at four in the morning to go to work. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And, and, you know, and I'm ready to go home. And I realized I better call home. And I call home and, and he's like, you realize I got to get up at four in the morning, right? And I'm like, sorry, I, I can figure something else out. You know, I can, I can figure out what to do. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. I'll come and get you. And, you know, he had to stop many times on the, on, on the way there to get out and wake himself up so he wouldn't be so sleepy and stuff. Cause he was already, I mean, he was exhausted. It was late and he'd been up since four and had to get up at four again in the morning. And, and, half the ride home I'm thinking why why did you even bother why why not just let me figure it out or whatever you know if 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 it's so inconvenient you know and at the time I didn't really get it but I totally get it now and and you know it's as if he could have said and didn't need to because it later became clear to me but it was as if he could have said of course I'm going to come and help you of course I'm going to do this I love you now, it's terribly inconvenient, and I hate this situation, and I, and I want to, you know, tear my hair out at the thought of having to, you know, be up at midnight when I need to get up in four hours and all this stuff, and, and you know, it, it's agonizing, and yet, of course I'm going to come and get you. There's no question about it, but yes, it was inconvenient. <laughs> and I needed to know that because I needed to learn. You got to plan for these things. You got to, you know. Anyway, point being, that was a lesson that was, it, it took my having my own children to understand. And I get it now. And I'm constantly doing things for my children that I don't want to do. So inconvenient, you little brat. And yet I love them to death. And so, of course, I'm going to do it. You know, it's not that I'm giving in. It's that they need this. And I'm the one who's supposed to offer it. And of course I will. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it, there, there's that. And then, of course, there's just the general love that's just always there. It's just always floating in the background. And that love that we have for children is only a reflection of the love that God has for us. Just, I mean, it, it's, like, it's like having this experience of having children, having family, having nieces, nephews. Uh, whatever kind of relationship it is that you have, is just a little sampling of what God has for you. A little teeny sampling. And it's a sampling that is so important that you have to come to this life and experience the trauma of reality in order to really be able to understand what little you can understand about that love. It's necessary. You can't understand it in a spirit form. Not fully. You can you feel the love constantly. You feel it constantly. It's there always. But because there's not the trauma and, and challenge of this life with the experience of having to say, Ugh, why would you do this to me? But yet of course I will. But why would you do this to me? Having that that dichotomy of suffering and love together, there's no way that I think we could understand our Heavenly Father's love for us without this mortal experience. I just don't think there's a way to do it. So anyway, very interesting experience. And uh, we do have one more to share today, <clears throat> but it is a very short one. 
but I think it's worth sharing. And so here it goes. This is uh, Sheila, uh, also from enderf.org. My heart stopped as I delivered my already dead daughter. I saw a beautiful light and my father holding a baby. I tried to reach them. I wanted to touch them. My father shook his head and said, no, and said, not yet. She's beautiful and she's safe. I awoke to my mother pounding on my chest. I was gone for a matter of seconds, but it, to me it was longer. I felt at peace with her death, and knowing she had people watching over her. There were others behind my father, but I didn't know who they were until later experiences. Now, it's a little agonizing that she says, later experiences, what? Well, I want to hear those too. <laughs> and they probably are listed in other places on the website or else, elsewhere. I don't know, but what a beautiful little, little experience. I mean, she's she's having a baby. She It, it doesn't go well because um, her heart stops and her baby has already died. She already knows that the baby didn't make it and her heart stops. I, you know, I don't know the condition situation, but, you know, I can't imagine the heartbreak of a mother delivering a, a child who dies. And I, I, you know, I can't imagine that. I've, my wife and I have been through two, uh, miscarriages. Um, and that was hard enough. I can't imagine getting as far as delivery. We were pretty early on between seven and 11 weeks in both cases. So, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't the kicking yet and things like that where we gotten used to the child and, and not old enough as this person was to see the child's face and and to be able to have that moment of bonding um, immediately following birth, whether or not the child was alive at the time of birth. She doesn't say. But um, what she sees is her father, who I assume has died already, holding a baby, which the clear implication is that it's her baby and that her father is looking after the baby. She says, I want to touch them both. I wanted to reach them. But my father shook his head and said, no, not yet. But then says, she's beautiful and she's safe. I think that it itself is a beautiful reassurance to parents everywhere that have lost a child in however old or even unborn. They are watched over. They have loved ones with them and you will be with them and see them again. Beautiful. Okay, as promised, I'm going to share some of these comments, um, some about the uh, the uh, background music and others about, you know, the podcast in general, but most of them mentioning the music background, uh, which for any of you who might have liked the music and be like, wait, why are you taking it away? Um, this is why. And, and I, I have to agree with the uh, individuals as they as they said it. So here's Here's Allison. She says, Hey Chaz, I just wanted to give some feedback as requested about the background music for the most recent episode. I found the music to be rather distracting. The last song played was the least distracting of all of them to me, but I've always enjoyed your voice and get and kind of get lost in the story you were telling. And uh, yeah, and kind of getting lost in the story you were telling. I found the music pulling me away from that. Not sure if the music was suggested to drown out your kids playing in the background, smiley face, but uh, that 
funny enough, doesn't bother me and usually makes me smile when I happen to hear them. I'm not going to stop listening if you choose to nix the music, uh, but I prefer it without. I still have been meaning to respond to your request for in input from the After Effects from just listening to near-death experiences. I still plan on doing so. Hopefully I can get to that soon. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Allison. That's great feedback. That's exactly what I was looking for. And, uh, and I'm very grateful that you, that you let me know about that. That has been the overwhelming response uh, from, from everyone. Okay, next we've got uh, Jim Bruton, who has uh, commented before. And we're very glad to hear from him again. He says, hey, Chaz. Well done on your recent podcast of my near-death experience. I enjoyed your reading of it, your thoughts that flowed, and your summary. I also really love your music at the beginning and the end of the show. All I can say is well done. I'll sponsor as a patron. Thank you, Jim. That's awesome. Thank you. And again, he doesn't er, uh, mention the uh, background music, but I think this might have been uh, posted before that was released, actually. I, I tend to get behind on my emails, so... But, but yes, thank you, Jim. I, and what a great experience. I really enjoyed sharing your experience on the show. If, if you haven't heard his experience, uh, go back to the episode uh, on Jim Bruton's experience. Okay, next we've got uh, John. He says, Hello, Chaz. You do a great job with the NDE podcast, but I don't feel like the music helps. Sometimes it becomes too loud or inappropriate for the mood of the moment during your reading. Perhaps you can write something that could work, but for right now, I'd prefer just the reading. One NDE podcast that I think uses music very well, almost hypnotically, is the Sam Reads Near Death podcast. If you haven't already, take a listen and see how he does it. Just my two cents. But I do overall prefer your podcast to his. His is great. Yours is far better. I suggest that you add the date you publish the podcast to the info so that one can easily see when you sent it out. When I get an opportunity, I will write to you again, but thank you for providing us with the wonderful podcasts you do. God bless you. Thank you, John. Absolutely. That's great. I, uh, I agree with you. Sam reads near death experience. Let's see. Sam reads near death experiences. Podcast is incredible. It's one of the things that inspired me to start doing this show. So I recommend it to any of you that are listening. Um, And, you know, my only frustration with his show is that it doesn't do it often enough. I want one, (laughs) you know, more often. I think he does it every two weeks or something, which I'm grateful that he does. He does at least that much. I I love it. And, but I understand he's a busy man and, and very grateful for his, his podcast. So if you, especially if you like having music in the background, I recommend his, he he does really good at that. Um, let's see, there was something else I was going to say about, oh, uh, the mention of the date, uh, putting the date on the podcast. You know, it's uh, if you when you click on download on the podcast on the website itself, you actually have the date written in on the URL. I know that's not what you're looking for, you know, but uh, uh, the reason that I don't put it in the audio is for reasons like this. See, I uh, I had you know the next five six days of podcasts lined up and I have them scheduled to post, but because of the 
quick response on the music in order to not discourage people and you know that that maybe really really don't like it uh, i did i wanted to get this out and say don't worry yes there's a few more days but it's not gonna last okay since i've already recorded them it's done i you know it's fine i you know we'll still put them out but just know that's not gonna stay and i wanted to say that for the very next episode uh, or well two episodes because the one for today is already released but i wanted you to know right away that we're done with the music background um but uh but yeah so i'm gonna be bumping in fact what i'll do is i'll take the one that's scheduled for tomorrow and just put it for next week the next in line and so forth and so that um will that allows me to be able to be flexible in my when to post it and i also there was something funny about the way that the the website posted the date it was like it was like some of the days it would post it the day that it was scheduled for which it was supposed to do and other days it would post it as the day that i scheduled it to like like if i scheduled got on today and scheduled it for next week sometimes it would say the post was today and then other times it would say that it was next week and it just got to be you know they were all out of order you know and it and it it would look like there was three posted today and then I took a week off and then posted four then you know I don't know this website's broken <laughs> I shouldn't say broken it's a good website and I've enjoyed it and honestly too I've never been one for numbering podcasts partly because then I have to look it up every day and and I'm kind of lazy about stuff like that um, partly I'm I'm just kind of scatterbrained and I tend to get things just wrong that way but if and and if you look at the podcasts that have been released and if you've been getting them the day of every time you'll find that once in a while there's one released on Saturday and then none on Monday I mean I'm I'm just <laughs> it it's my I hate to blame it on the ADHD or blame it on the ADD. I think there's a song about that, but but uh, it, it may have something to do with that. But I'm just like it's one of those things that I'm kind of keeping in my, you know, since I'm running my podcast, I'm going to do it how I want, and I don't want to number my podcasts. And and not dating is also a, a way for me to kind of maintain some flexibility. Anyway. If it really bothers people, let me know. I can I can certainly put the date back in. And if nothing else, just putting it on the, you know, having the website do it automatically. It may get it close enough that you'll be able to get an idea. But anyway, that's that's why I haven't done that. But thank you, John. Thank you for your comments. So next we've got uh, Steve. He says, hi, Chaz. So much to say to you, but that will have to wait for the moment for the moment. I absolutely love your podcast. You asked for responses about the background music. I can only speak for myself. I find I find myself hinged on listening to every word you speak. The music to me is very distracting. It draws some of the attention away from your spoken word to listening to the music as well. I can certainly appreciate someone's tips for the show. However, I'm not sure this is a positive one. Other than that, the show absolutely rocks. I have intentions to contact you about my mother, but we'll do so when I'm not so busy at work. I'm working a lot of overtime at the moment. Please take the criticism about the music in stride. Certainly not meant, meant to cause any frustration. Just love the concentration on your spoken word. Thank you, Steve. Great comment. Great. And, and exactly in line what we're hearing from everybody. 
Okay, next comment was from Kelly. She says, Hi, Chaz. I sure appreciate your podcast and find it very uplifting. I'm not so sure about the background music. Your selections are excellent, yet I find it distracting. Others might really love it. So just my two cents. I'll keep listening either way. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. That's that's perfect. Right in line. And, uh, and we will be stopping the music. So thank you for that. Uh, we also have a voicemail. I'm going to play that for you now and I don't believe he leaves his name but uh, but here's here's his message hey Jeff uh, I just want to call I listen to your show or your podcast all the time please no music it it completely uh, it's it just takes away from the show if just you your voice is great reading uh, it's distracting and I don't know if the, about this last one. I didn't haven't listened to it yet, but the first one you did was the music was way too loud. I, I to, it's it's tougher to. I really had to concentrate to try and listen to the actual experience versus the music in the background. It's just it, there's a lot of podcasts that do the music in the background, and I don't listen to them. I listen to you because it's just you telling the experience and. It's it's much better, and that's why I listen to you. Anyway, I hope uh, this helps you out. Anyway, bye. Perfect. Thank you so much for that input. This is exactly the kind of thing that I that I needed to hear to know whether it was worth doing or not. And again, I, I'm I'm grateful that I'm not going to have to put in the extra time for it. And honestly, we're getting close enough on the Patreon page that uh, those who are supporting the podcast on Patreon, once it gets over fi- or to $50, I'm going to be recording an extra episode for the Patreon patrons. And so I will have the time to do that better because of not doing the music. So, so, and, and, you know, we've had more patrons come on this week, so we're really close. I think I think uh, just another what $15 or something will put us to the point where I'll put out an extra episode a week for the Patreon Patreon patrons. So thank you for that and what a great message. I've saved this last one for the last because of of its uh it's very personal and and very beautiful message from Diane. She says, "Dear Chaz, I just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast, and I feel it has changed my life. I tumbled, I stumbled upon it uh, several months ago after losing my husband two years ago unexpectedly with a long battle with diabetes. I became a young wid- widow at age 54. I began seeking anything spiritual on the afterlife and related topics and found you. Just a few things if you have the time to listen. I guess I had a reverse experience that about two weeks after he departed, his spirit communicated to me. He wasn't the most honest person in life and had no religious beliefs and basically an atheist. He always said that he believed when we die, we just go to sleep and we just die. I've always been spiritual, not religious per se, raised Roman Catholic as a child, but haven't been in church for over 35 years. Death has always scared me, and I'm and terrified of it. Two weeks after he died, 
I had a visitation of his spirit. I was trying to get myself to fall asleep, which was a struggle so so soon after his departure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a small dog and cat that sleep with me nightly. During his life, his job commanded all, uh, all around the clock work hours, so he never had a true schedule and sometimes would work late into the early morning hours. He could come home and sneak quietly into bed, trying not to wake me up, but the dog inevitably would excite to see him and the cat would as well. This particular night, suddenly they began to stir, just as they would uh, if he were entering the bedroom. I was half asleep, half awake, struggling to open my eyes, sort of in a twilight place. <clears throat> I felt his body lie down next to me. We... Uh, uh, with us face to face. He didn't communicate with words, and neither did I, but we seemed to be talking. I was on my side, and he was rubbing my shoulder and arm and took my hand. He said, Diane, I don't know what to do and how to harness the electricity. He worked with electric equipment, and that would have been totally part of his vocab. He said, I've been to the other place, Diane. It's beautiful. I, I don't even know how to describe it. You would love it there. Then he went on and said, But I'm concerned for you. I promised I would always take care of you and never leave you. And I don't know what happened. I don't know where I am or where I'm supposed to be. I feel lost and confused. I began to tell him what happened. Again, no words, but some but sort of communication with my mind. He had a massive infection in his foot from amputation, got a severe blood infection resulting in kidney failure and ultimately stopping his heart. He passed on the morning of his 61st birthday. He was shocked of this news and was quiet and listened as I explained. So I said, I have the death certificate on the desk in the other room. Let me go get it and I'll show you. I began to get up out of bed, again in some sort of dream, twilight, half-awake, half-not state. He grabbed my arm and pulled me back to the bed and said, I believe you. I understand now. And he just sort of faded away and was gone. Anyhow, that prompted my interest in all things afterlife, and I sort of stumbled on you. I just want to say that your podcasts give me the inspiration and hope I look forward to each and every new one. Hearing repeatedly, over and over, the viewing of your life has made me do a self-check. Uh, so see, has made me do a self-checklist of sins and wrongdoings I have committed in my life, and I'm in the process of asking God to forgive me. The recent story of the egg and gears someone saw freaked me out and really co convicted me. But your last ten minutes of your words and reflections I have now played repeatedly over as my life has been a total mess and downward spiral since my husband passed. Alcohol, financial problems have gotten myself into a relationship with a married man for who for 13 months promised me that he would leave her for me, but still hasn't. I'm trying to break away from this. This man has supported me financially, and I'm currently dependent on him, with no job and source of income. I have never worked 
most of my for most of my adult life and terrified with the prospect that I have to do so. The egg and gear story convicted me on this relationship, and your last ten minutes of reflection is giving me hope and strength to try to break away. I'm trying to give all my worries and fear to God, and praying He will light my path and tell me where and how and what I need to do to survive. I wish I could donate to you on your patronage page. I just can't even spare a dime right now as this man has been very controlling and has just given me just enough to get barely by recovering my uh, barely covering my necessary bills and I have been on food stamps and public assistance since my husband died. He has had no life insurance. Your podcasts are one bright part or moment in my daily routine, and I usually listen to them as I fall asleep. Your voice is very soothing and relaxing, and the stories give me hope and inspiration. Please never stop. Your words and reflection have touched my soul and heart. So, uh uh-oh, one bad comment. Sorry, I didn't like the music in the background. To me, it took away the focus from the story and the words and because, and because a bit of distraction for, and became a bit of a distraction for me. Especially when she was in the middle of her experience, you played some triumphant stor- strong music to get, it got a little loud and distracting. I don't know. I have sometimes, uh, let's see, I, ha- I have times sometimes focusing Uh, struggle focusing, and I guess my focus switched more to the music and lost focus on the story. Just my thoughts. Thanks for listening to my story. I don't know, just felt inspired to take the time to reach out. God bless you. Please keep up the good work. I totally appreciate it. You have been a blessing in my life. Well, God bless you too, uh, Diane. What a beautiful comment. And I think you'll be happy to hear that that the music, I'm not going to do more with music, and again to everybody, you know, uh, till probably the beginning of next week, there will be some that post because I've pre-recorded and scheduled them, um, but don't worry, they're not going to keep going forever. <laughs> but the rest of this, oh my goodness, what a really beautiful comment, and and I mean, first off, let's talk for a few minutes about her experience, which is fascinating, about uh, after her husband died, um, when uh, when she is, you know, kind of in this half awake, half asleep state, she has. First off, the uh, the dogs react as if he just got home. You know, he's like, hey, they're like, hey, good to see you again. You know, they may not have had an inkling that he was dead. You know, at the time, either. You know, dogs. And animals sometimes, when they have any kind of experience with a uh, a loved one, they often don't know they're dead. I mean, they, it's kind of the same for them, uh, which is says something about the the uh, the relationships that we can and maybe ought to have with our animals. You know, something of, of the love that is found on the other side. Anyway, um, and then she has this experience of feeling him there, and and they're face to face he's kind of rubbing her arm and and they're talking in their minds as spirits would and it's interesting to me that she's in this half awake half 
a sleep state because many people who have experiences have them at night during a half asleep, half awake state. There's something about, I'm guessing, there seems to be something about that half awake, half asleep state that uh, has a, there seems to be a, a rift in the connection between the spirit and the body if I can put it that way. And which may be one of the t- reasons that uh, dreams can often be reached, or people can of- often reach loved ones through dreams and through other, uh, better than through other experiences. You know, somebody who's died, you know, a dream about your loved one that died that is very touching and so forth. I would, I would not hardly ever just chalk that up to an ordinary dream. I would say, yeah, they have a message for you. That just seems to be the case from from my research, uh, that that's one of the ways they reach you. And uh, in this in-between state that she's in, I would call that more than that. It was clearly a visitation and not just a dream. You know, it's the kind of thing that, that, you know, people who are not familiar with this kind of stuff would say, oh yeah, that's that's a beautiful dream that you had. But to me, I'd say, that's a visitation. It, It fits the bill on so many levels and that is a visitation and while you know later a person may ask themselves was that a for real or was that a dream i don't know it i honestly there's it it would take some convincing to convince me that it would uh that it was just a dream i think this was definitely a visitation and it's interesting what he says first off he's seen the other side it's beautiful and, and, you know, kind of says, you're going to love it. You would love it there, he says. And, and then, this is the interesting part. He says, I don't know what happened. I don't know where I am or where I'm supposed to be. I feel lost and confused. That is so interesting to me because, and it's kind of unique because we kind of think of people on the other side you know, when they die, that either they will move on to the light and go to the spirit world with all the loveliness, or maybe they will have a distressing experience, which hopefully eventually they call out to God and are delivered from that. I, I've never heard an experience where they weren't, other than coming back in the body, and obviously we've never heard from somebody who hasn't come back from the body. So, But uh, it appears that, uh, that you know, or usually it seems that they're either, they either go to the other side, beautiful, or they have a rough time and then go on to the beautiful at some point, or they stay on this sphere and just kind of roam the earth or, or, and so forth. And they're kind of lost. And you kind of picture this. I don't know where I am. I don't know what happened. You know, I I don't know why I'm here and so forth. There seems, it, it seems like, you know, most of the time it's kind of an either or thing either they stay on this side or they move on but this seems to hint to the idea that somebody could go on to the other side see the beauty of it experience the wonder of it and then still come back to this life and still not know they're dead now clearly he's not like in in this utter turmoil because he says he's been to the other side and it's lovely but he's still confused he still feels lost and doesn't know Uh, what happened and apparently doesn't know that he's died. 
And that aspect itself, not knowing that they've died, is kind of common. And often people will get to the other side and, and at some point when they're visiting family and having all these you know, beautiful experiences, they'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, am I dead? Did I die? And there's kind of this wake up to the fact that they've died uh, uh, to their uh, mortal body. And which is so interesting because for one thing it says that's how real it feels and is on the other side. It feels very much alive, even more so than here. But anyway, um, I found that very exp that experience very interesting because of that aspect of having gone, come back, and still not known he's dead. And because time is not a thing, that probably explains why it could be two weeks after he's died and he still seems confused. So very, very interesting. I do want to go on to some of the other things that she says. I totally, I, I can't say I totally understand. I, I very hesitate to tell people I understand because nobody really ever understands another person's situation. But there are aspects to it that I can relate to in, you know, financially. I mean, you know, I want to say to, to any of you uh, l like Diane that would love to be able to contribute to the Patreon page but can't, I totally get it. Honestly, there are podcasts that I would, you know, love to be able to support, but I just can't. And, and you know, this is one of the things I can relate to just a little bit is the financial stuff. I mean, it's tough. And, you know, being on government assistance, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of burying my soul here, announcing it to the world. But we're, my wife and I, we're on food stamps and uh, we have been getting enough food stamps to completely cover our food for us and our children for several years now. I'm not proud of that. I'm not ashamed of it either, but it is humiliating, honestly. And we are on Medicaid for insurance. I mean, it's government insurance. I, I calculate the amounts that are, that, um, the government does for me and they're doing more for my family financially than I am in my job. And, and I do work and, and receive a meager full-time wage. And it, you know, if you look at, uh, at the, uh, poverty standards for my state, which is Utah, I would have to be making three times as much as I make in order to be at the po poverty line, to be sitting at the poverty line. Now, that sounds extreme, but when you consider that I have six children and the poverty line like jumps, uh, you know, $10,000 for every child or something, I can't remember what it is. But, you know, if, if I was a single person, um, you know, it, the poverty line would be much closer to where I'm, uh, what money I'm making. But anyway, the point is, is that I, I get it with the finances. I mean, it, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a place that's very lonely. And it, there's something about being, and I'm saying this for Diane's sake, but also for the sake of any of you out there who are in situations like I want to say us, it sounds like her situation is even more desperate than mine, of course, because, you know, she doesn't have work at all. But there's something about that situation of being so financially strapped that is de-empowering. I don't know what the word, uh, what that, 
I can't think of the word for something being de-empowering, but, but it's, it's really humiliating. It brings you down to a point where you feel like there's nothing I can do for myself. I feel powerless. What can I possibly do for myself? And it's hard. It is really hard to be in that situation. And, you know, if, if it was just a matter of hard work and, and um, you know, putting yourself out there and stuff, I would have been filthy stinking rich by now. I have worked so hard to try to make the music work, to try to make my farm work, to make um, my books work. I mean, that's why I have so many different things that I do is because eventually it, you know, it proves that a thing is just not working. And, and so I'm like, I got to move on. I got to keep trying other things until I find some way to be able to bring in enough for my family to get through, you know, every year. And, and you know, it, when you're living, it's not even paycheck to paycheck. For, for us um, at our house, sometimes it's like tax return to tax return. You know, it's, it's one of the benefits of having kids is that you have tax benefits. And so we end up, you know, with quite a bit of money being given to us. And, and by some standards, it's not a lot of money, but by our standards, it's a lot of money. And if it weren't for that, we would not be able to get by year after year. And we have to be very careful about our finance. You know, basically what I'm trying to get to is that, is that there's something very, um, causing, it causes a person to feel powerless and to feel like, what can I possibly do? What can I do? And, and the options that don't even seem like options feel like, I, but I can't do that, you know. For example, myself, I could go and get a job, you know, that pays a good, you know, 20 bucks an hour, which would be more than I've ever earned in my life, you know, and, and that would feel more in line with what money I should be receiving. It wouldn't put me over the poverty line yet, but it would it would be way more than what we're getting now and it it would feel more empowering and yet when i seek and and you know should i go and get a 9 to 5 job that is different than the stuff that i'm doing now i i know i would have to give up the podcast other than maybe doing it once a week or every other week or something um and you know when i when I pray about that kind of thing, just the response keeps coming back. And and I'm not one who gets answers easily, but when I do get answers, I try to stand by them. And the answer I keep getting is, hold out, keep keep going, keep going. And I don't know if I'm just doomed to be dirt poor all my life or what, but it's there's this whole wrestle with the situation of, you know, how do I get myself out of this situation? And even what things that we know we could do, they're terrifying. And I think Diane is experiencing this in her situation. And honestly, I'm not in a situation to give direct counsel to her. But what I can say as a word of of just encouragement is that if there's one thing that I've learned from my own experiences, struggles, as well as from near-death experiences is that we have so much more power than we think we have. Sometimes the things that frighten us most are the things that are, that are the things 
that are going to get us where we want to be. Sometimes the, the fear that we have is simply the resistance that is, is the little, you know, it's like there is, there is a, a, a dam ready to break. And, you know, we usually think of the finger holding the dam as being, you know, something of a salvation. You know, the little boy who sticks his finger in the hole in the dam and is able to save the village because of it and so forth because it was breaking and whatever. You know, I don't know if that analogy actually works according to the laws of physics or not or whatever, but it does work in spiritual laws. And and what I'm trying to convey here is that often... The deluge of blessings and incredible um, gifts that God has for us are there for our taking, and yet sometimes it's a matter of letting go of that little, you know, hole in the dam so that the deluge can come. It's kind of the reverse of the intention of the of the analogy <laughs> normally, but but we hold our finger in because we're scared. A deluge of anything is frightening, whether it be, you know, of, of, you know, negativity, which is what we expect. We expect to be completely drowned and killed by it, but also change, the change for good and the change for the things that we know we've got to do, for example, overcoming alcohol and, you know, uh, finding a job and so forth, that is, that could be terrifying. Absolutely. Uh, you know, especially when you're in a situation of feeling completely unempowered, that it, it just, feel, you feel like a bug <laughs> and you feel like you're in a, you're a bug surrounded by tanks and somehow you got to make your way through. That's how it feels. But once we are able to tap into the power that God has given us already and able to release that and allow the resistance that that we fear to take place, we find that we are so much stronger than any silly little tanks. We are so much stronger and more powerful than all the resistance that's given. And yet, that's part of the purpose of this life, is to experience this resistance and how overwhelmingly overpowering it can be. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, okay, God, I'm ready to make whatever move you need me to make, but I am raw and I am completely in your hands at this point because I, all I see in front of me is is fear and fire and and de- a desperate situation that I'm ready for you to take me out of. So just tell me what to do and here we go. And if it kills me emotionally, mentally, physically, so be it. But that, but that decision to being willing to step into the power that God has given us, whatever message He gives us, that's where that's that's what it comes down to. You, you know, talk with Him about. Uh, about what the council is. All I'm here to do is to say, you have more power than you think you do. And I have to remind myself of this every day. I mean, just yesterday, we were driving to church and we're like desperate. I mean, Christmas is around the corner. We already can't afford it. And all of a sudden we have a flat tire as we pull out. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you stinking serious? 
you know, it's like what little we had is gone now, you know, and we didn't even have it, you know, and, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. And I, and I'm not trying to, you know, uh, seek for pity. I don't need it because God is looking after us. God is taking care of us and he finds remarkable ways to do it. It's, it's really cool to, when you look back and you say, wow, how did we get through that? I mean, when we bought the house that we're in, you know, I talk about my farm and so forth like that. It was a miracle that we got in here. We were in a tiny little place in a, in, in a trailer park, uh, which, which we were happy to live in until the day we died because we knew, but there, you know, that, that we were probably never going to have money for any nice house. And this isn't what you would call a fancy house by any means, but it, it gave us so much more elbow room and we, we had some land that we were able to get animals and start, start doing a farm and so forth. Farm was not even on my radar before moving here. And I don't even know, as I look back, I'm like, how the heck did he get us in this nice house? And, you know, by nice, I mean, nice by my standards. So most people go, yeah, yeah I guess you could call that nice if you're used to the poor house, you know, <laughs> But uh, we love it, and it's my dream house, honestly. It's my dream house, and and with the land and so forth and all the potential that it has, lots of unmet potential, but uh, we're working on that. But the point is, is that he keeps doing things for us. God keeps doing things for us. I'm like, how did he pull that off? How did he do that? Because there's no way by any calculation that it, it should work. There's no way we should be able to get through X, Y, and Z, and yet he gets us through it. And it, the only thing I can attribute it to is putting my trust in him. And there are times, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, I, I, I'm an optimistic person, but there are times when I want to shake a fist at, at the heavens. And, and I shake a fist and I say, I know you got my best interest in mind, but seriously, seriously, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, I know you're taking care of me and I trust you, but seriously, you know, and, and I think we all go through that. We all have that. And that's part of the reason for this life. But the point is, we have more power than we think we do, even when our attempts at grasping for that power just seem to fall, put us on our face, uh, you know, don't give up. And, you know, God is on your side in more ways than you can possibly imagine. And I can attest, every part of me can attest that God loves you far more than you can feel. And there will be times, there will be times when you feel like, but then why does he, uh, you know, but believe me, there is more love in the suffering you're experiencing. There is more compassion in the torture you may feel like you're going through, there is more love in that than you can possibly see now. And, you know, we talk about viewing your life, the, the life review, and how uh, frightening it kind of is for many of us at times. I hope that we all get the opportunity to see how he moved in our lives and how also those strugglings and sufferings that we went through were part of our experience because of something so much bigger, so much more important than what we could see now in this life. And let's face it, most of us, uh, I'm jealous of all you experiencers out there because you get a glimpse. You don't get the full picture because you come back and, you, and you're like, but what am I supposed to do now? You know, And you 
lucky ones that that are told your life purpose and said this is what you got to do xyz bam go back you know i'm i'm even more jealous of you but the rest of us we're aware that that's out there especially those listening to the show we're aware that uh we have a life purpose that our suffering has purpose that we are more powerful than we know yet we may not see how that pans out in this life anyway i'm sorry i've dragged on on and on with this um but uh, I wanted to share that. I thought that was a, a just a, a, an incredibly beautiful comment from Diane. And we're praying for you, Diane. And we're all in this together as, as bumbling mortals trying to figure out our lives. It, love is there for you, both from God, from each of us. And, uh, and so hang in there. You're... You're doing a great work. You're doing incredible things. And you're coming along better than you know. So keep up the good work. And to the rest of you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. If you would like to share your experience uh, or, or ask a question or a comment, as, as these wonderful people have done, uh, you can email Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to... Um, uh, call in, leave a three-minute message, or keep calling in and leaving more three-and-a-half or three-minute messages to get your full experience across. That's great. Uh, call 970 ND. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 970 NDE Cast. If you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so by going to Patreon.com/NDEcast or go to NearDeathExperiencePodcast.org and click on Support the Podcast. And with that, thank you all of you so much again 